Welcome to Specs Speak Science, the scientific podcast hosted by a rotating cast of chemists and industry experts. From highlighting the hidden chemistry in our everyday lives to discussing relevant industry topics, Specs Speak Science looks to deliver informative content to the scientific community. With that, please enjoy this installment of Specs Speak Science. Hi, welcome to our podcast, Spec Speak Science. Today we're going to be talking about dilutions. So when you set up your method, you're going to be setting up a calibration curve or you're going to be setting up a calibration range. You're also going to be considering what's the range of where your results or your targets are going to be. This will often um, dictate how you dilute your samples, how you dilute your standards, but more importantly, you have to look at the instrument that you're running these samples on and determine what's the dynamic range or the best working range for that piece of equipment, and then adjust your standards and your samples to fit the range that you'll be using for that piece of instrumentation. First, we have the limit of detection. This is the lowest point. So this is not meant for quantitation. It is meant that, yes, I see this or no, I don't. So this is the lowest amount that you can see on your instrument. And it's usually calculated as three standard deviations from a blank run. Or if you're doing a signal to noise calculations, it's three times signal to noise. So your signal is three times higher than your noise level. This is also used to establish when you do method detection limits. So you're developing a new method for a GC or an IC or an ICP, and this helps you determine your method detection limits with blanks, with replicates, spikes, and other standards. Then you have your limit of quantitation. This is the lowest point from which you can quantitate or get a real result number from it. Often this is 10 times the standard deviation from the blank, or it's between 10 and 20 times signal to noise. So your signal is between 10 and 20 times higher than your noise level. On the other end, you have your limit of linearity. This is the highest point that you can have a sample. So if you have an ICP, that might be a limit in the very low PPM or maybe high PPB would be your limit of linearity. Over that point, you saturate your detector and you make that data uh, inaccessible to you. So the limit of linearity is where you lose response of your system. And you can see you're kind of losing it to a curve now. And the dynamic range is the point between those two, between limit of quantitation and limit of linearity. This is the best working range for everything you do, for your targets, for your standards, and, and, and so on. Now, the dynamic range of the instrument is very important because that is going to limit how you are going to run your experiment. What limits of concentration will you be able to see? It's also important because it gives you the, the rules to which you uh, dilute your samples or dilute your standards. So if you're looking for macro elements, nutrients, active ingredients, flavorings, things in a percent level, then you're going to be using techniques like a GCFID, an LCUV-Vis, maybe an AA if you're doing inorganics. You might even use an ICP, but you'll probably have to dilute those samples down quite a bit. If you're doing PPM levels of, of targets, then things like micronutrients, pharmaceuticals, solvents, then you have a little bit more choice. You have a little bit more range. You can start to do some ICP. You can do start to do maybe some LCMS, depending on how you dilute it and uh, what range that you have for your LCMS. 
You get into the PPB or the below PPB, then you really need those mass spec systems. These are your contaminants, your pesticides, aflatoxins, heavy metals, things like that. So this is where you're going to need the power of a mass spec or a tandem mass spec. In some cases, in preparing your samples, you are going to need to convert them. You're going to need to calculate what their concentrations are. You might need to, to take that concentration and convert it to another set of units. Now, I try really hard not to freestyle this. I try hard not to just depend on my memory. So what I have next to my lab and next to my desk are my conversion tables. So I have a weight-weight conversion table, a weight volume, and then different concentration conversion tables. So I can really um, not depend on my memory or my math skills. I can just go ahead and look at the table and I can convert and I can say, wow, you know, a PPM is a nanogram per milligram or it's a microgram per gram. And I don't have to worry about is my math, am I crossing out my zeros because I have given myself a little cheat sheet to kind of help me out and figure it out. And we do have these tables downloadable so you can actually have these tables and use them for yourself. Now let's talk about those sample dilution and dilution factors. A dilution is either the mass or the volume of your sample divided by the total mass and volume for the sample plus whatever diluent you're using. So it is your sample versus your total overall sample plus solvent plus water plus whatever you're diluting it into. So that is your dilution. When we talk about dilution, let's give an example. So let's say you have a, a sample of five, five whatever, it does not matter, it's five. And you wanna dilute that to 10. What you do have then for dilution is five divided by 10 is 0.5. So you have a 0.5 dilution. Another way of looking at it is by dilution factor. This is the inverse of dilution. So you have your total sample, your sample and your diluent divided by your sample. And so this would be 10 divided by five, which would give you two. So we call that a two X dilution factor. There's another way that you can look at dilutions and that's by concentration. So we take the dilution equation, the sample divided by the total, and we have a few extra parts. First, we have to consider the purity of the material. So if you're using a neat material to make a stock solution, let's say you're using a, 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 a neat compound of, of some metal complex, and it has a purity, let's say, of 95%. So that actually has to be factored in to give you the correct concentration. And then you're going to want to put in whatever concentration unit factor that you'll be using. So if you're doing parts per billion, you have to, to multiply it by a billion. If you're doing parts per million, you have to multiply it by a million. Here's an example. So we have the same 5 divided by 10, and then that purity is 95% or 0.95. And then we'll say we're looking for parts per million. So we say then 10 to the sixth. That would give us 475,000 parts per million for this initial stock concentration. If you're going to be diluting the stock though, then you take out the purity and the concentration unit factor and you multiply it by the stock concentration. So then what you have is your five divided by 10 div times 4,700, uh, 475,000 and then the next stock that you have, then your dilution is 237,500. So you do have to change what you're multiplying against what is the material that you're starting with. Are you starting with a concentrated stock that's near 100% 
or are you starting with some other a stock solution which will have a different concentration So let's say now that you are going to make up your calibration curve or you have a target. So let's say your target is 0.001 and this can be PPM, PPB, PPD, it doesn't matter. The concept is the same. So this is your target. This is what you want to measure and you need to take your stock solutions and you need to make a standard to match that 0.001. Now if you are going to use a really uh, large stock solution like 1000, as I said, PPM, PPB, it doesn't matter, but you're using a, a, a thousand stock solution. Well, then if you try to make that up directly, let's say you're making 10 mils of this of this standard for yourself, you're going to need 0.00001 milliliters, which uh, by many, many, many pipettes is not doable. So you're not gonna be able to use that. You're gonna have to make a larger amount so you can actually pipe in, pipette in a larger amount. Or you're going to have to do a serial dilution so you're going to have to do something like your first one maybe you'll do 0.1 mils into 10 that will give you a 10 then again you go from there to the next dilution and again 0.1 into 10 that would give you 0.1 finally you get to your third one and again if you make a mistake on any of these dilutions then your final product is going to be off but if you take a lower stock or starting solution to make your standards or to make your cal curve, then you can do less dilutions or you can use larger amounts. And remember what we said about using the full capacity of the pipette or the syringe and that larger volumes in larger pipettes or syringes have less uncertainty. And so now you can use 0.001 mils and go directly. But if that's still a little small, you can do a serial dilution and instead of those three serial dilutions now you do two serial dilutions and that will get you to that 0.001 that you needed let's talk about some dilution tips now first make sure you keep track of your units your units will do you in every time make somebody else check your work um, I know one of the biggest problems I have is making sure I count for all the zeros and all the crossing out and all the units and you can go to specs and download those calculation tables or those conversion tables to help you out. When possible, unify your units. Convert all your grams to micrograms if that's what you're using. Try to make sure that you, all of your units are unified first because then you are going to help yourself in the end when you're trying to clean up your math. Don't forget to check the purity when you're making a stock solution from a raw material or a neat material. And you wanna make sure that you include that purity in your concentration calculations. Don't forget to count for the weight or the volume of any internal standards or spiking solutions that you might be adding to your process. So you might have your sample and your diluent, but you also might have an internal standard. So make sure you account for the weight or the volume of that internal standard. Double check that all your calibration points are going to be within the range of your analytical targets and definitely within the range of your instrument. Now, sometimes your dynamic range of your instrument can change. For a mass spec, you can focus on a certain range of masses that you wanna monitor. So you wanna make sure that even if your dynamic range for your instrument is 50 mass units to 500, but you have it tuned from 50 to 250, or your methods from 50 to 250, you wanna make sure that all of your samples and all of your standards are gonna fit into that, or you're gonna to have to adjust your method. 
So, you, and then if you can't do that, you're going to have to dilute everything to match the dynamic range that you'll be running in. You want to make sure that all your calibration points are within this, within this range. Sometimes it's difficult to make a calibration curve when you don't know what the final sample is going to give you. So you can make points that cover the entire dynamic range of your system and then run a few tests with your sample and get an idea of where that range is going to fall. And then you can narrow down your calibration points to really focus in the range where the, the target's going to be. And if you have a problem, you can always come to specs and we have a dilution calculator that you can download. You can go to our website, download our dilutulator, and you put in the uh, parameters that you want to calculate your dilution for, and it will give you the amounts that you can dilute in order to make the correct dilutions. So we have an example of our dilutulator. It's an Excel spreadsheet that you can download and you can put your, your calculations into. So please visit the website and take a look at it. Well, thank you for joining our podcast and I hope you tune in again to Specspeak Science. Spex Speak Science is presented by Spex Companies. Spex CertiPrep and Spex Sample Prep provide scientists with certified reference materials and sample preparation equipment for a diverse range of analytical techniques. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider rating the podcast and subscribing for future installments. Similar content, such as application notes, research studies, webinars, and more, can be found at both specsertiprep.com and specsampleprep.com. Thank you for listening to Specs Speaks Science, and we look forward to bringing you future episodes. Thank you.